This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Today, as a special bonus, the Clinton Law School experience, or how I understand the law, not in three years, in less than three minutes, here with us on the Blaze Radio Network, Veritas. Welcome back, my partners, my radio family. I am Jay Severin. We are live. We are together, best and brightest. The Blaze Radio Network. The complaint line never used for that purpose, oddly enough, after all these years, but still available for that or any other uh, purpose that does not threaten the license. one 3393 And by license, I mean our multiple dog licenses. That's the license I'm most concerned with. one 3393 How How ridiculous is it that you have to have a license for a dog? I mean, first of all, you don't really own the dog. If you're a dog lover, you know the dog owns you. But Legal matters aside, I was once asked to take an old, this was a very long time ago, uh, very long time ago, almost before there were fish, just to let you know how long ago, I was asked by the father of an old girlfriend. She was about 72 at the time, so she really was an old girlfriend. No, an old girlfriend's dad asked me a favor uh, would you take her younger brother fishing this afternoon? Everybody is going to be in the city or doing different things, and he has been after us to you know to go fishing, and it's his summer vacation, and he likes you, and would you take him fishing? And I, you know, I was waiting for the catch. Like, you mean I'm going to get to go fishing? And this is when I still fished. I never fished seriously, but I... I was willing to go fishing, and uh, and I said, uh, well, of course, you know, I'd love to. I mean, he was a great, the, he, the, the younger brother was a great kid, and sure, sure. And so fishing, we went. And in the middle, we'd, we'd caught a few, just like crappies and sunnies and uh just the stuff you're going to catch in in Connecticut, you know, when you walk 10 minutes, you park your car on the side of the road, you walk down to a pond, 
uh, you know, and you, you know, not, nothing fancy, believe me, no boat, uh, just like worms in a hook kind of thing. And we'd caught a few fish, uh, small fish, and all of a sudden I hear a, a, a rather booming voice saying, Sir? Sir, excuse me, sir? And I about nearly peed myself. I didn't expect uh, any voices in the middle of the woods. And all of a sudden, this was becoming a scene from, uh, you know, a bad movie. And, and I, I looked around, and it was this. Most of them either are or seem to be, by the way, to me, state trooper. Connecticut state trooper. And, sir, I said, me? You know, yes. May I see? Or no, how young is the boy? And I said, whatever he was, I don't know what he was, 14. And, uh, and he said, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, sir, may I see your, may I see your fishing license? And I kind of burst out laughing, not a lot, but I went, <laughs> fishing license? See, to me, a fishing license was what? It was like a hunting license. You you had to go be, you know, a fairly serious hunter, and you had to apply for your hunting license. But my attitude about having to have a license to go catch dinner was the same then as it is now, uh, which is, it may seem like a tiny example, but I think it's among the most accessible but major philosophical models that makes up libertarianism. And that is, are you really kidding me? You think I have to announce myself to the state and go somewhere to a place and register my name and address and pay a fee, a tax, in order to catch dinner for my family now i wasn't catching dinner for my family i was taking my girlfriend's kid brother fishing but i didn't have that in mind at the moment all i had in mind was i i kind of sort of blurt out with a little laugh because to me a fishing license was something that grown-ups went and got you know like serious fishermen and people who were grown up and i didn't regard myself as either uh Laughing was, I now, in retrospect, appreciate, was the wrong strategy. And the state trooper, God bless him, did not take kindly to my snort, which he's exactly right. But, I, you know, what do I know? At the time, not much. Uh, Evidence of the fact that I snorted when a state trooper was asking me what was, however ludicrous, a perfectly legal question. Where is your fishing? May I see your fishing license? And so I said, of course, uh, uh, Your Excellency, uh, you know, I, I, I have fishing license. I, I don't even fish. I'm just here with my, my girlfriend's little brother. I was asked to take him fishing. We're just, we, he just lives up the road here. 
And, of course, the state trooper was having none of it. And I I got a summons. I had to go to court. I had a week later to come back and go to night court to answer for myself. And in the week between my serious offense and my court appearance, I had had little time to think about it. And the more I got along, the more offended by it I was. Offended at the laws of the Commonwealth of Connecticut, I mean. And so I was full of myself, though only of myself, when I went into the courtroom and I decided I would make this, you know, a federal case, as my father would say, and and thought that I would take this opportunity to enjoy my moment in court, my moment before the people of the state of Connecticut who unified were prosecuting me for having caught a fish without having first registered, identified myself, paid a fee, all of that. And so I started, I launched respectfully, but I launched on this discourse about, Your Honor, I hope you will hear my complaint of my fundamental objection to the idea of a, and before I got, I'd say, six seconds into it, the judge banged the gavel and said, $50 fine, uh, next case. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I Perhaps we misunderstand each other. And he said to me, uh, young man, perhaps you misunderstand me. What I'm telling you is pay $50 or be taken into custody until you can pay $50. This, by the way, was prior to the United States Supreme Court ruling on 30 days or $30 was no longer, is no longer, if you didn't know, allowed because it discriminates, it discriminates against the poor. So uh, $50 or 50 days or whatever the heck it was, and that was the end of my big court moment. Uh, Why do I mention that? I'll bet you think I don't remember. I do. And in a moment, I'll pull it all together and bring us to my personal, my point of personal privilege uh, for the day, which... Uh, I think you actually ought to share. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Partners, one 3393 Partner on the phone. We're about to go there. Uh, just wanted to say, rather like the fact that I still have no Twitter, though I'm hoping to restore it tonight. I know I said that yesterday, 
I'm saying it today, and I believe it now as I believed it yesterday. I just won't believe it if I have to say it again tomorrow. But I'm trying. I have tried. I will try. And I think that conjugates the verb as completely as is appropriate for the moment. Uh, I will be trying. There, I think that's the pluperfect. Uh, uh, secondly, th- th- this whole thing about the fishing fishing license is admittedly loosely related to any formal topic because I relate it to a wedding license. Now, I may offend some by the accordance of or the equivalence, the, 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 the insinuation of the equivalence of a fishing license with a wedding license, but I feel the same way. The notion that two people, I don't mean to be old-fashioned, but the notion that two people wish to fall in love and take up uh a marriage or such relationship as they deem appropriate for themselves, period. Whatever form that relationship takes, whatever form, the notion that they should have to go down to a government office, the fact that you should have to go to other human beings who are somehow designated as a special, and they have like special hats with a special feather, or a or a, a a a ring of little silver circles and and gemstones around their necks, something to designate them as special human beings, and and I have to go announce myself to them, and say, here's who I am, here's where I live, and I wish to formally declare my intentions to pursue a relationship consisting of X, Y, and Z with uh, this other person identifiable as A, B, or C. That is pornographic to me. That's an obscenity that I should have to announce or register or uh, live in accordance or behave in accordance with any regulation imposed on me by anything or anyone that I should have to get permission or or register. The only wedding registry I'm in accordance with is, uh, you know, when you register at Tiffany uh, or selected other fine stores. I just, you know, that, that at least means something. Uh, but, you know, when you register your silver, I, that, that, that I understand. But this all leads me to my uh, personal uh, point of order, which I really think you ought to share. I don't mean share it with you because I'm going to do that in any case if you're still listening. But I mean, I think you ought to own it along with me when I say share it. I heard today that the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission, uh, and and by the way, that you say, well, wow, this this is going to be real exciting. and And it's not. But it is going to be interesting. You know you cannot drive a taxi in New York City without full registration and approval and licensing by the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission. You know that the going rate right now, and and what you get for that 
is you get a a big metal medallion about the size of a, a good pancake. Okay, it's a red medallion, and it gets stamped. I don't mean embossed. I mean it's it's like it's it's punctured into the hood of of the car. It's it's a you know you can't put it on you can't take it off. It's impossible to uh, uh, evidently impossible to uh, to pirate or you know or or to falsify. So you get this pancake sized red heavy discus implanted under the hood of your car. And last I heard, that costs in the neighborhood of a quarter million, upwards of a quarter million dollars. Yeah, you heard me correctly. It could be half a million. That's how much New York City arbitrarily values, sets as a value on what you could earn. Not next year. They look at it as a mortgage. Okay, they figure over the life of that license, whoever owns it, if they work 22 hours a day, if they don't get killed by their passengers or succumb to other of the poisons of New York City in one form or another, that you can make just enough to make your mortgage payment. I'm not kidding. There, There is an industry in New York City that is virtually as big as the house mortgage industry. And what they do is make mortgage in mortgage loans for cab licenses. I'm I'm not kidding. You know, I'm not kidding. This is all real true stuff. You have to go apply for a mortgage. Almost everybody does because they don't have a quarter million dollars or 400,000 or whatever it's become. So you take out a mortgage on your taxi license. And in accordance with this, it can be sold, bought and sold, or leased. You can do with it what you can do with a house. And they figure that over the life of like 30-year life of your license, it may make back what it cost you. Okay, that's why the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission is not utterly without, you know, any importance in the universe uh, unless, of course, you don't live in near or visit New York. Okay. The New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission, which is the gateway for many immigrants trying to make it uh, the honest way in the biggest city in America. Today, the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission announced it was scrapping the English test the English proficiency test, as a requirement of obtaining your license. Now, the most famous of these proficiency tests in the world among cabbies is London. It is said that a London taxi, a a registered London taxi driver knows, must know, every nook and cranny and street and lane and byway and highway in all of greater London, to have the slightest chance of becoming a a London taxi driver, which I think is a very good thing. It is also, also still true in London that they must speak Londonese, which is English. 
And here we're talking about the real thing, real English. Inevitably, however heavily accented, it is still genuine English. And in New York, however heavily accented, it was still true until today that your taxi driver had to be able to understand the national language of America. And we do have one. Don't let anyone ever tell you differently. America has a national language. It's called American. It's otherwise known as English. Well, you don't need to know it anymore. And it's part of the end of the world. Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Partners, welcome back. one 3393 Soon to the phones, one 888 I really mean it. one 3393 uh, Just finishing this point. The New York City Taxi Commission has scrapped the English proficiency test. Now, if you've been in New York recently, you may have the impression that they scrapped it 75 years ago. Uh, I I understand. But formally, it was in place until today. And I think that the removal of English, which also means, coincidentally, the removal of their knowing where you want to go or how to get there, they haven't known that for... I, I mean, I I essentially grew up there, and I'm I'm telling you, they, I watched it. I could chart the years of of the demography of cab drivers, but also their knowledge. They used to, I remember in my early 20s, it changed almost as if overnight. There, there were no more American, you know, Maury, the Jewish cab driver from the Bronx. That was the cab driver of my childhood. That changed as if overnight. And all of a sudden, the demography, like London became Londonistan, we we became, the, the universe of taxi drivers in New York became almost exclusively Middle Eastern and, uh, and, and uh, extending even further east, you know, Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, etc. Okay, I think it's kind of the end of the, another signal of the end of the world that New York City cab drivers now not only do not know how to take you where you want to go, but now they can't even tell you that they can't take you where you want to go because they will no longer be required to speak a word of English. Now, you don't think I'd leave you hanging, do you? Huh? Huh? No. Vengeance is mine, saith the J. Vengeance is ours. I have to offer you a remedy. Now, increasingly, with disregard of the law, I admit to you that any meaningful vengeance 
And, and, and what are the circumstances under which you may feel you require and justify meaningful vengeance? Let's say you're going to the most important job interview of your life. Or you, you need to get to the licensing agency. Or you're going to lose the biggest business deal of your life. Or you're not going to get your wedding license because you've screwed up. You've taken too long. I've already spoken to wedding licenses, but this is another matter. There being a fact of life, suppose you haven't done it and you you must get there. It closes at, well, it being it being a governmental office, it actually closes several hours before it says it does. But let's say you must get in the doors by 4 o'clock and you're sitting in traffic in another borough on the wrong bridge because your native Afghan driver has absolutely no idea where he is or how to get you to another place. Then you say, vengeance is mine. And I offer you an absolutely death, these days, a death-defying remedy. It's up to you to decide whether it's worth it. But if you have a taxi driver of recent Middle Eastern descent, and I would put the chances of that at only roughly one in two. And if they are rude to you beyond your ability to uh, tolerate and or utterly unable to perform the job, you're paying them perfectly good American money and and under these circumstances, really, really important to you. If they're if they're unable to do that for you, and they screw you, and they're rude, you may decide this is the moment to recall: vengeance is mine, saith the Guru Jay. And and their job, by the way, is delivering you with moderate prospects of survival from point A to point B in New York City. Okay, you have at your disposal one and only one form of retaliation, which I'm told is the ultimate Middle Eastern insult. I discovered it on my own. That's the truth. That's the truth. And I was with my child bride when I did it. Honey, was I not, were we not together when I did this? Okay, I'm about to describe it. She could shout, let you know if I'm telling you the truth. We, we were in the middle of traffic on Fifth Avenue. This guy was screwing up big time. So I had been told the biggest insult you could give a Middle Eastern cab driver is to call him a midget. So I called him, sprinkled with American profanity, I called him a midget. And then I got out of the taxi. And in the middle of Fifth Avenue traffic, in the middle of the day, I left both back doors open. So I got out without paying, but I left both back doors open, which means he had to stop the taxi in the middle of impossible urban traffic, put it in park. He had to go around and close both doors. People are about to riot, and he's screaming. He's purple. And he's screaming at me, and this was the first one that actually started to chase me down the street. And my child bride said, don't, don't, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that again. Honey, did that happen? Yeah. 
Okay, she says probably. All right, good enough. Thank you. This witness is dismissed. I'll speak to you later. Uh, no, it did happen. Then that's your that's your ultimate uh, weapon of vengeance right there. Leave both back doors open. Get out. Don't pay. Call him a midget. Say his whole family are midgets. Understand that I haven't pulled that gag in 15 years. So he might kill you right there on the spot. But wouldn't it be worth it? Scott! What's up, Jay? I'm laughing. Scotty, baby. I'm I'm laughing out loud, literally. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's a true story. I originally called. I I originally called to talk a little Louisiana, not just the floods, but a political situation going on down there with regard to the upcoming election. Sure, I know it a little bit. I I, I was in on the election of uh, Sonny Boy Mouton. I'm not kidding you. Sonny the Lamb. I was Sonny Mouton ran for governor of Louisiana. David Garth handled the campaign. I was working for David Garth. This is true stuff here. Interesting. Yeah, I know you've massively experienced in not just American politics, uh, global. Um, so real quick on New York City, the cab medallions. I didn't plan on talking about this, but while I was on hold, I was listening keenly. And now naturally I have an opinion of it. It's similar to the Olympics, where remember we were talking the other day where they come up with the signs and you can't tell, you know, who's who anymore. Right. And uh, they're not. You mean with the, like the parade of athletes when they come in, the yeah. team from Norway might as well look like the team from Pakistan. Yeah, it's just another indication of the slow transition that is happening before our eyes to globalization. And yes. I don't like yes. it either, but it's happening right before our eyes. And yep. one uh, thing about calling him a midget that reminded me of my late uncle used to call. Uh, he was hysterical. He's the one who turned me on to politics when I was about 16 and taught me to stop thinking and learn about what each side thinks and form my own opinions. He used to call people mental midgets when he thought, <laughs> when he thought they were dumb. And I always liked that one. Uh, <laughs> his name was Earl, and he's passed. He's a good man. Okay, so back to Louisiana. I'll go with the floods first. Right yes. now, we, we cur- right now we currently have fellow citizens that are truly in need of help. And the numbers I saw on Fox News recently is the damage is estimated at $34 billion with the B as in boy. And currently the federal government has helped them with $127 million, meaning uh, 1%. Uh, I'm not a math guy, but, uh, you know, cl- clearly. No, wait, uh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Let's try and do this. Is it? Let's round it off. So it's what was your first number? This, this is I'm citing Fox News actually. Thirty. Right. No. 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 Me, but what was the first number? The beat. Thirty. Billion. All right. So thirty billion, and then we're going to round off the the uh, the aid to uh, one hundred million. Sure. Yeah. That's that's where so, we're at right now. So that's like saying. Boy, I'm going to really embarrass myself here because I I know that a billion is a thousand million. So there you go. So when you think of it in those terms, that a billion is a thousand million, and you say we're going to give you a hundred million, you realize how very modest that effort is. And seems to me, even to me, Scott, ought to be more. 
This is why if you're going to say we ought to have federalism, that we ought to have a federal government, this is when this is one of the few occasions on which I believe a federal government is a good thing because it represents a a pre-existing structure. Right, Scott, a pre-existing structure via which the money and other aid necessary to help people quickly who are in life and death circumstances can get that help from their fellow citizens. I think that's a good thing. I, I agree that, I mean, this is ultimately, I mean, taxes are originally created for what? Military, fire, and police, and everything else. Exactly. exactly. Emergencies. But, but Scott, it's, it's I have to break. I have to break. I, I have little doubt, uh, I, and I, I hope that's justified, I have little doubt that you will hold and return in your usual exemplar contributory way. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin Show. With partners, Scott, noteworthy among them. Scott, welcome back. The floor is yours, kid. Yes, thank you for having me back. Um, closing on on my first of two Louisiana topics. Yeah, so approximately 1%. And there's people out there, the math guys listening, or, or ladies as well, are going to say, geez, these guys are dumb in math. But <laughs> it's approximately 1%, <laughs> maybe a little less, maybe a little more. The point being... Basically, they're estimating the damage at $100, and the federal government is saying, well, here's a dollar. Um, right. And why that disturbs right. me is because there's so much gross misspending of tax dollars. Well, here's something Amen. where people could really use the money. And Amen. I just think that's pathetic. They're, they're burning money and buying votes, and you know, don't get me ranting on, on that. No, topic. no, I agree with you but, entirely. As a matter of fact, there is a um, – is it Service Pro? I don't know. Uh, there is a commercial enterprise, and their slogan is, we make it like it never even happened. And the federal government, Scott, has the ability, we all know this, to move in in a massive way, and in the course of, what, 10 days, max, they can make this like it never occurred. And that's why there's a federal government. That's what they ought to do. But they're too busy uh, paying for uh, residents, food, and shelter for Syrian refugees. You know, that's more That's right. And ACORN, operating a budget for ACORN to uh, organize uh, in the uh, inner city. Yeah. And that's disgusting. I mean, any, any, any thinking person that likes their, loves their country and care, I mean, come on, these are our fellow citizens and they're getting well, there you go. Illegal. Scott, you just eliminated, you just eliminated a a hundred million people right off the top. (laughs) Any thinking person who loves their country. Come on. How's that for a caveat? Okay. (laughs) Um, Staying on the topic of Louisiana, coincidentally, there was a bill, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're, I'm sure you are familiar with this. With this. Um, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe a bill was passed or proposed, I believe passed, that is going to allow thousands of convicted felons to vote 
in elections. Now, interestingly, I could play devil's advocate on this one. I, I was interested to hear what you think. I, I could argue both sides of this. Um, as, this one as, got me, you know? I could argue both sides. All of us, and, as all ought of us, uh, as ought all of us who are thinking people, ought to be able to do. Uh, give, give, given an argument, whether or not you agree with it, that's the mark of someone who knows how to argue and debate. And it's a, it's a gift which can be acquired. And, and you have it, and a lot of people could have it if they wanted it. And that is, you know, it's the acquired ability to argue. Half of which um, is the ability to listen. A lot of people don't listen. They wait to speak. There's a, there is a difference between listening to someone and waiting to speak. And I well do my said. best to listen to people. And, Good. Then listen well, to let this. Me argue. I'll t- listen to Excuse this. Me? We're out of time, and we're, uh, I, I'm, I'd like you to open up the next hour of the show. And I'm prepared, uh, even though I'm still without Twitter. I'm prepared and would like to offer in advance the argument for the two or three people who will say, "Why is Scott on so often?" And the answer is because Scott calls. You can call. But Scott does. And you know what? He calls and he's good. We'll be right back. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to our choice, 2016. It may not be an enviable one. One is smart. And totally corrupt. The other one, dumb, but uncorruptible. There it is. Which do you prefer? Excelsior! Partners, pardon me, partners, friends, radio family, you are all of those. I am Jay Severin. Best and brightest, we are together, the Blaze Radio Network. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Engaged, enmeshed, ensnared, as we are in the most exciting civic circus maximus of our lifetimes and arguably the most important election in the lifetime of our republic. Yes, yes, at least it's an argument. It may or may not be so, but it is absolutely so that it is arguable. one 3393 more on our choice 2016 we welcome back partner scott who is going to further illustrate his graciousness not merely by dint of his patience 
but also inevitably by sharing with us his sentiment that what he wishes to address has evolved several times during the break because he finds what we think so delectable. Aren't you, Scott? Welcome back. Thank you. Geez, I feel like I should take a bow after that introduction. Thank you. Uh, Closing out the Louisiana, um, the illegal, excuse me, the convicted felons voting. This could get into a long conversation, and I'd rather move on. And by the way, that happened. Your citation, there, 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 uh, there may be many. There will certainly be many more presently. But your most recent precedent slash citation is yesterday. The governor of Virginia signed an executive order restoring to all felons in Virginia the right to vote. Well, forgive me my error there. Louisiana, I said, so it's Virginia. Well, at least I had this. No, no, it may have been. I I I may have missed it. It may be Louisiana, but I know yesterday this occurred in Virginia. Yeah, so you're right. Louisiana was on my mind due to the floods. That's probably my error on that one. And briefly, I'll say, I'll argue both sides in 40 seconds. Uh, Convicted felons, no, they shouldn't be able to vote. They've given up that right. They've committed felonies, um, naturally. That's why they're called convicted felons. And no, they shouldn't be allowed to vote. But All right, that's the law. Now now swing, swing to devil's advocate. That's the law, but let's now assume you are arguing against you're conceding that's the law but you wish to argue that the law is not appropriate i'd call it unconstitutional i'd actually love to argue this and in as much as i know excuse me on what grounds well these are well let me just preface my next statement with this in as much as i know that they're all voting for hillary that is not going to change my opinion i'm for what's right i argue what's Right. right We we stipulate that going in. Okay. They're American citizens. And if they're in jail, that means they've been tried, they've been arrested, prosecuted, and convicted, and now they're serving their time. They're they're paying their debt to society. They're American citizens. And you know what? If some of them are 17, 18, or 19 years old, they're eligible to be shipped off for war. And if we're if we're going to let them out after serving their two years for drug possession or whatever crime they were felony they were convicted of, well, they should be allowed to vote if you could draft them. Not that the draft is back in order yet, but it could be. So if, if, if this gentleman can get out of gentleman might be the wrong word. If this guy or gal can get out of jail after paying their debt to society and be told to go fight for this country, they ought to have a voice in the voting. Question, counsel. Suppose the person in question had committed treason and served 40 years for the commission of treason. Okay, well, there'd be stipulations then. Yeah, I, I, then I would, okay, you got, me, you got me back on the other side now. No, they shouldn't be allowed to vote. Uh-uh, can't do that. No, can't, can't take that hat off. No, you got to have a hat on here, a hat on. Right. And the hat you have to have on here is you're now in the DA position, devil's advocate, not district attorney. You've argued that it's paying your debt to society, which is inherent in the sentence and no more, 
once having paid that, the restoration of your full citizenship rights ought to be without question. That is your position as DA, yes? I think that's very arguable, yeah. Once you pay your debt right. to society. So, well, all right, me, so let, argue. Let me elaborate. So argue, you're arguing it, and I'm asking you a question, as a judge would, and we're playing Supreme Court here. Judge would say, okay, irrespective of crime? I would say, I would say that, uh, to use your example, treason, maybe the punishment ought to be more severe then. Because if they get out of jail, they should now be eligible to vote as American citizens. So, in my opinion, the issue may be too short of a sentence, more than it is. So treason. Right so vote. treason would be exempt. Maybe treason should be life, life in prison. And now, now when they say convicted okay. felons, please educate right, But here. if it's Are not, saying- if it's not, that's why I said in my hypo, someone served forty years. They served forty years for treason. <clears throat> Pardon me and they're out, should they have restored to them all of the privileges of citizenship? Well, first of all, they'd probably be released and on probation for 30 years. And I think if you're on probation, consistent with what we're arguing. Don't, don't. You're you're um, introducing, you know what? Will you let me make my case and you make yours, okay? Uh, that's, that's, That's part of my case. Just stay out of it brother you you make your case i'm asking right, you you got me no you're i right. get your there point and i'm saying 40 years served for treason i get out should i be allowed to vote uh this november no why no because the crime of treason is a direct conflict of interest with voting you're so you're, that's an ex- all right all right i hear i hear you i hear your answer i have another question what about um, kidnapping and murder. Well, murder is life, so that's no point. They won't be out to vote. But no, murderers get out every day. You know that's yeah, that's true. Murderers get out every day. They've served. Hey, you may you, know, you may not like my answer here, but I may no, say, I, yeah, I, because that's not in the conflict of interest of the voting. They're still going to vote for their best interest, unlike a person of treason. All right. I don't want to drag this out for everyone's oh, yeah, sake, but enough. I have one last question. Yeah. Your your operating assumption appears, may not be, but appears to me to be that there's a hidden punishment, that that the, the founders, the, the makers of law, did not intend, even though they said so, that your punishment, if you are a felon, if you commit a crime... And you and I are both, we're great friends and and devil's advocate, both are we here. So this none, none of this is, we're, we're both doing the same thing here. We're arguing without uh, respect to our actual personal positions on this. That's sure. understood. All right. So you seem, though, to be operating under the assumption that the makers of the law, despite, no, get out of here. Sorry, had to discipline a doggy. Uh, you seem to be operating under the assumption that the makers of the law, even though they said, here is the punishment. The punishment is X years in jail, plus, by virtue of having committed this particular kind of offense, i.e., a felony, against your fellow citizens, in addition to X years imprisonment, 
you may never again vote because that is the law. So yeah, that that is the law. They did intend for that to be the punishment. In addition to the incarceration, they very, uh, very evidently intended that loss of the franchise explicitly be a part of that punishment. So now you're asking us, in your argument, you're asking us to go back and say, yeah, yeah, they meant the they meant the incarceration part, but they didn't mean the felony slash voting part. Okay, well, it like you said, it is law with capital I S. It is law. So I guess what I'm really saying, and Jay, I know I've been on. Before you let me go, please just let me make. Will one you let quick me point. produce the show, my good friend? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. All right. So. Yes, I guess what I'm really arguing or saying is that the people who make laws, I mean, we are a government of the people, for the people, by the people. So that is the people speaking because that is the law. Those are people we put in office. So I All guess right, Scotty, really we have is, to finish this another day because in addition to it's not how long you've been on, it's how good you've been, and you're very good as always. But I look at the clock, and the real producer of the show, Skip, is about to send an electronic sting down the line, which is going to incapacitate me like rats in a laboratory. Call again soon. I love you. Thank you for the argument. Be right back. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. Is the Jay Severin Show. Uh, only so because of my partners, Scott, great as always, thank you. Rich from White Plains, this is a welcome back. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Jay. Hey, Jay, you think maybe you've watched too many episodes of Law & Order? <laughs> I've never seen it, but I probably did see too many episodes of the combination of uh, Perry Mason as a child and and then graduated to my uncle's courtroom. He was a, uh, a Supreme Court justice in the state of New York. And when I was, he rode the circuit. And <clears throat> when he was in my circuit and when I was in high school and later in college, I used to drive, believe it or not, I used to drive to his courtroom, if it were a nearby county, and sit in on his trials. So, uh-huh. yeah, Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering if you were inclined to defend, since we're always in a, seems to be a mock trial. Um, yeah. Uh, life is uh, a mock trial. Life is a mock, yes. Um, are you inclined to defend Trump's brilliant strategy, strategy to win over the African Americans with the, quote, what have you got to lose um, <laughs> mantra? Um, two answers. Uh, both, it seems to me, necessary uh, parts of the same coin. Uh, Answer number one is, Rich, my good friend, I'm not inclined to defend anything or anybody. I'm just willing to, uh, for fun, out of intellectual exercise, which I find fun, give me a side and I'll argue for it. 
whether or not I agree with it, because I find that fun. I find fun not knowing which side I'm going to be given. And then 10 seconds before the red light goes on, someone says to me, here's your position, argue it. So I'm not necessarily, I mean, I think we all know my political views to the degree anybody cares, uh, which are libertarian, conservative, constitutionalist. But I'll argue anything with the pre-announcement, you know, uh, the caveat that I'm playing devil's advocate. Now, with particularity to the question you ask, would I be, in, I take it, which is, would I be naturally inclined to defend Trump on this one? Or maybe more precisely, you're asking me, what do I think? How do I assess Trump's efforts to approach the black vote the way he's done it so far? Is that fair to say that that's the question? Um, it, I guess so. I mean, uh, you added one adjective to inclined. I think I, I can't remember to, to kind of change up the, uh, the the question. But you're basically headed in the in the right. You, whether it's your opinion or whether you're going to, I mean, you're you're you seem to be differentiating between what you believe and what you're willing to argue. So why don't you? Oh yeah, I never that do that unless I announce it in advance. What what I, I'm never I don't do that. I, I, what I tell you is what I believe always, unless I announce that I'm going to do this for sport. I'm, I'm going to argue the other side. So I don't want you to ever have to guess. You know, I am who I am. I believe what I believe. And unless I announce in advance that I'm going to argue the other side for fun, then you know that I'm speaking what I believe. And in response to your question, I think he's doing uh, the shite job of all time. I find the nature of his appeal embarrassingly crude, insulting, and I would be delighted but utterly shocked if it appealed to African Americans. What do you think? Well, you know, Jay, I'm not a researcher, okay, but I do follow politics as as do you. And um, even without any rehearsals or any prep, I could come up with you know, several things that I could think of just, you know, coming right to mind immediately that could that could that I could put out there better than Trump. Like, for instance, one glaring thing to 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 knock the Democrats, you know, first, there's there's the argument about how the Democrats control, you know, they control the urban areas, you know, the politicians right. and, and they haven't done anything. And, and we've heard that. But I think um, something really uh, 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 that sticks out to me was when Obama first got elected and did away with the voucher system in D.C., uh, uh, which uh, negatively affected um, people of color. And overwhelmingly, you know, like, what's that? Overwhelmingly, so. Absolutely. Now, can't Trump even articulate one? freaking thing like that i mean just sound remotely intelligent for just one instance okay <laughs> just instead of what have you got to lose look i could i could <laughs> suck as bad as the democrats but what the heck what do you got to lose <laughs> can you imagine a judge or a voter saying in response to trump when he finishes that's your <laughs> argument <laughs> right right <laughs> Are those, um, are those your closing uh, statements? Are you sure? I, are sure you don't want to review your? T- 
I, would you like another chance? Did you know we're live here? <laughs> oh, boy. Let it, me turn your question around as we're close to the break. What, what, what do you think of, how do you assess Trump's approach to the African-American voter? Well, you know what? Here's here's what I what I I think by trying to address the African Americans, the Hispanic Americans, the the, the you know uh, uh, or the diverse, he's playing it to the Democrats' hands. Anybody who represents. All right, let's the stop there. Let's stop there. I have only thirty seconds. I'd like very much for you to animate that. I'd like okay. to know. I'm not alone. I'd like to know. What do you mean? A lot of people are wondering, what does Rich mean that Trump, despite his efforts to the contrary, what does Rich mean that he's actually playing in to the Democrats' hands? I'd like to know what you mean by that, and if you will be gracious enough to hold for uh, a moment, then we will find out, because this is the message of the moment, the message uh, which is among one or two dominant right now in the Trump campaign is what Rich has mentioned. He's looking black voters in the eye and saying inelegantly, what the hell do you have to lose? Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network, one 3393 Rich is one of our stellar callers. Rich is from White Plains. The first time we spoke, I assumed, having listened to the quality and nature and structure of his argument, that he was a litigator. Uh, it turns out that he is a litigator. Now, he may not be a lawyer, but he is a natural-born litigator. Uh, and so, uh, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Jay. Um, you left off with me going on to explain why Donald Trump is playing into the hands of the Democrats as he addresses these individual groups. And yes. um, the Democrats excel at identity politics. It's their way of divide and conquer. Okay? Yes. And... Um, Republicans, particularly conservatives, libertarians like you and me, we believe that we are human beings first, Americans second, and that the common sense policies uh, uh, that appeal to everyone uh, are like you know a tide that lifts all ships. Um, the the Constitution, personal responsibility. Freedom, liberty, fiscal responsibility, these are things that will improve the quality of life, no matter what race, gender, nationality, it doesn't matter. And that's what the Republicans are supposed So when you start going out as a Republican nominee and directing things at the Amer- African Americans, directing things at the gay community, directing things at Hispanics, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're doing the wrong thing. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there is 
I cannot think of anything essentially more un-American, and I don't mean that as a cheap provocation. I mean it literally. I cannot think of any, when you think about what is essentially American, which I think you have defined in your preamble there, when you think about what is therefore un-American, that's exactly it. Saying to someone, you should identify yourself as a first as a Catholic or first as a Jew or Human first being. as a you know, gay person or any, any of that. There's one thing we're bad at doing, and it is the conservative slash libertarian, I'm not going to say curse, it's not a curse, uh, but it is a challenge. And that's maybe that's a little euphemistic, Rich. Maybe maybe curse is a better word so everyone understands it. But I prefer to say challenge. And that is a rising tide lifts all the boats of the skippers who have kept up with the leaks during the winter. Yes? Oh, yes. The, le- the rising mean, tide does not lift the boats of people who neglected their boats, who could have done more to care for their boats and their passengers, but they totally neglected them because they knew a man from the government was coming to caulk the leaks and and hand them provisions for their next uh, I sale. See where, I see where you're going. Yeah, you're. And you're, one of it, our it, problems is, you know, democracy. And well, I should say, to be more precise, capitalism, I find the natural state of man. But I cannot, after all of these years, Rich, I have yet to be able to discover or conjure an argument that satisfies its critics who say, yeah, that's great for people with boats or, you know, you know, suppose I can't keep after the leaks in my boat uh, for w- one reason or another because I was I was handed a smaller boat at birth or I was handed a leaky boat or something like that. We, I, you know, the fact is a rising tide is going to lift most boats, Rich, and it does it better than any other system in the world that we know of, but it doesn't do it perfectly. Well, I think I heard you in that make the argument of the political class versus the people, the representatives who aren't representing the people they're supposed to, which is definitely there, Um, more so with the Republicans. With the Democrats, I mean, Jay, look at at the advantage they have. Um, You know, they passed Obamacare without a single Republican vote. And, and there was no outrage in it because 90-some-odd percent of the media is, is on the Democrat side, and they're not going to point it out. So when you're a Republican politician, you're fighting two wars on two fronts. You're fighting your opponent on the Democrat side, and you're fighting the media. And that's probably why the, the, the Republicans in Congress are so shell-shocked. There's, just, there's only a handful of them, okay, who, who have the... You know, and that's why I was a Ted Cruz guy. And nobody ever, nobody ever cared to look into why Ted Cruz was so unliked. You know, Jay, it's really funny. All they kept saying, ah, nobody likes him, nobody likes him. Don't vote for him, nobody likes him. Well, you know why nobody liked him? Because he was one of the guys inside bucking the political system. No, no but, exactly. you know, 
He was doing. And, he was the one guy, or one of the very, very few guys, who did, ironically, what we've been trying to make noise, encouraging people to do: fight against the system. Yes, and you know something. I, I, it's too. You know, of course, it's too late now. And let's throw the word out there because it's going to come out eventually. Binary. You know, now now that it's a binary. Uh, a, you know, election. But, you know, I, I have to have a lot more respect for somebody who has the courage to fight the system from within than an outsider who's saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to actually, Donald Trump has gotten to the point, and I'm, I, I'm deadly serious, Jay. I swear to God, the next thing he's going to say is, I'm going to cure cancer. Okay? I mean,. <laughs> No, there isn't, that's close. There isn't anything, that's close. There isn't close. anything that man, according to him, he's a legend in his own mind. There's nothing he can't do. I, I just want, I, I want to disagree, however, slightly with you. <laughs> he is on the verge, he's on the very cusp, Rich, of saying, I am going to cure cancer. Except he's going to say, and these are very important elements within the same sentence, he's going to say, big league, I have the best cures, and I'm going to cure it so fast that your head is going to spin. Big league, big time. There you go. There's the statement. And we have to include another one of his favorite words, but it has to be on the opposite side. Maybe a criticism of the medical community. It's a disaster. <laughs> All right, Rich. So welcome to our choice, 2016. <laughs> one is smart, and the other is utterly, totally corrupt in every sense of the word. The other... Not very smart, in fact, dumb, but basically trustworthy and probably incorruptible. She's dumb, but will have smart advisors. I trust him and agree with him versus she's exceedingly smart and will have profoundly left-wing advisors I don't agree with, but she's also a total liar and I trust her on nothing. Dumb and honest versus smart and corrupt. Welcome to our choice, 2016. I don't know if I can agree with the trust part on Donald Trump. Somebody who's come on both sides of every issue. Somebody who's done as much character assassination as, as we've ever seen in order to win. I get that. I think it's, he feels like it's a game. And that, and that after winning, you know, like, like in that movie, The Candidate with Robert Redford, after he does all this well, stuff to win... Yeah. He goes, what do I what do, we do now? What now? Right. I don't spite you your argument. And in closing, uh, with the thanks for your, I really look forward to your calls. You, uh, thanks, uh, and in thanking you for this one and uh, those I trust to follow, let me say in, for my part in closing that uh, I don't spite you that argument at all. And it's very difficult for me to honestly even contest that argument you just made. It's just that I, maybe because I was seeking some justification for someone who believes, who honors what I honor, who respects what I respect, 
the fact that all my heroes, almost all of them are intellectuals, that, uh, you know, I think about the, the, the people who can so eloquently state our position, people like Pat Buchanan, people like George Will, and the fact that Donald Trump has yet to conjure, construct, and deliver a an extemporaneous English sentence. And I think of that, and maybe I bought in way too early to this 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 exemption notion, which is, look, uh, I know he's not that smart, and I know he doesn't speak English, but the fact is, I buy that he wasn't a politician, and I'm going to give him a clean slate as of now. That doesn't mean now, today. That means now as of six months ago. And I'm sorry that he hasn't done very well, but I was willing to make the argument that he's what we say we've wanted. He's a citizen politician. He's a citizen who was successful in the private sector, and he finally said, all right, I'm going to turn into a politician to try and save my country. We have given lip service to that now for 50 years. We finally have someone who apparently qualifies, but did it have to be someone who can't speak English? Say it. Don't say it. It's too, it's too Rich, thank painful. you so much. Right back. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. If I have somehow neglected to do so, and on the rather obvious basis of the contributory quality, the 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 exuberant and uh, outstanding quality of their uh, partnership with this show, I wish to knight both Scott if I've neglected to do so, and Rich, which I'm pretty sure I've neglected to do so, both of them on the basis of their contributions uh, deserve knighthood. And they are both uh, marquises as of today. Uh, and, and I want to thank them for that and for their extraordinary service. one 888 Think of a president leaving office who confers pardons <laughs> only only in this case it's a good thing it's not a pardon it's quite the opposite it's it's recognition for a job extraordinarily well done by the way rocky heads up sir rocky heads up this commission so Anyone feeling they need to be up or downgraded, ungraded, upgraded, ungraded, uh, just let Rocky know. And I'll let you know as soon as I restore Twitter, which I hope to do. Obama finally showed up today in Louisiana. And I don't know if you will notice this or they will probably cut it out 
of most news coverage. But Obama continued to be struck, stricken, with his usual tragedy Tourette's. Now, the origin, the first known demonstration of Obama's tragedy Tourette's was when he showed up in the wake of Fort Hood, Texas, the slaughter by an Islamic fundamentalist in Fort Hood, Texas. And if you recall, he stood up and said, hey, how you doing? Hey, hi, hey. He was waving to everybody. Hey, hey. He goes, I want to give a shout out to my to my brother here, Chief Chief uh, Larry Strongbow. How you doing there, brother? All right. All right. Yeah, all right. And on the other hand, we're sorry, 14 people are dead. Obama has this tragedy Tourette's. It was on display today when he showed up finally in Louisiana and started by saying, I just want to start by saying uh, my friend, uh, my friend Rich here, he's been upset because he's seen a lot of LSU T-shirts and he's a Florida Gator boy. So, you know, he's upset by seeing these these LSU T-shirts. But but seriously, we're sorry about all these people here on this block who are dead. I'm sorry about all the people here on this very block who drowned. They're right over here. This this right over here, this family lost their mother, drowned in her bed. How about that? Hey, Larry, how you doing? Shout out, baby. How you doing? Obama has tragedy Tourette's. He stands up there and blurts out the most mindless, selfish stuff. And then, as though it were an afterthought, he goes, Oh, yeah. And all these dead people. Oh, yeah. His shout out. Chief. Chief. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Network.